Hi, thank you for joining us at U-Inc. My name is Ria Greif, and I'm here with you today as I am every week to help build the most important brand in your life, which is you. And when we talk about building, we use tools, and the same goes for building your brand. These wellness tools will help elevate your emotional intelligence and help to lead you in a more positive, successful direction in life and in business. Some of these tools you will find helpful immediately, and some you'll put in storage for another time, depending on when you will need to use it. This week's tool is resiliency, and why it is important to have the ability to face life stressors with resiliency, and to challenge yourself to include this tool in your life, and how to utilize this knowledge into creating a skill for resiliency. Once we've demonstrated to you that this is a great tool for your brand. I want each of us to do is imagine an object that you equate with being resilient. For the sake of the exercise, just to understand an object that is resilient is something that is able to spring back to shape after bending, stretching, or being compressed. So a sponge, a tree, a bridge, or a skyscraper that, although mighty, will sway in the wind because if they were not flexible, they would snap. An ocean with its ebbs and flows, a rubber band, anything that when you think of resilience, this item comes to mind. And as we talk about the tool of resiliency, I want you to imagine you are this resilient object. So whenever you recall this item, some of the lessons learned here, the awareness you are building will be easily recalled and activated just by imagining the object again. Okay, so what is that object? It helps if you say it out loud. Okay, now on to what resiliency is in people. So first off, what do we mean by resiliency and why would I care? Well, resilient people have certain characteristics and they experience life in a certain way. They have the ability to recover quickly from difficult conditions. They have flexibility and balance in life. They have the ability not only to recover, but move through difficult situations more easily with positive outcomes. And they have an attitude of positive thinking, problem solving, and creative approaches. So this boils down to problems become surmountable, seem easier to handle, and your outcomes are winning ones. You will suffer less and succeed more. Sounds good? Then how do I become resilient, you might ask. So let's explore this. And many of the items we are talking about here today and inspiration for the things that we're talking about here today can be found in further detail in the books that I've listed on our website for you to take home from your library. Resilient people engage in certain behaviors, which leads to the ability to possess the characteristics and life experiences we mentioned. I call them the lucky seven and what they are. First of all, resilient people know how to take care of themselves. They understand that being selfish is not self-centered. It is self-care. They eat a nutritious diet. No way around that. They get enough sleep. They're physically active every day. Anyone can do at least 30 minutes of walking a day during their lunch hour instead of eating for 30 minutes and looking at their screens for the other 30. They know their limits, but they don't let their limits limit them. So there are times we can say, not today, but I'll try again tomorrow. And resilient people are with people who give them pleasure. Secondly, resilient people are in touch with their own feelings. 
So if you aren't aware of your feelings in a very nuanced way, then you won't be able to address the thing that leads you to feeling this way. So what I mean by that is you need to identify the specific emotions you are experiencing. So instead of saying, I'm stressed, you need to be able to say, I am feeling overwhelmed. By saying overwhelmed, that's a signal for you to take something off of your calendar. Simply saying I'm stressed does not lead to solving the problem, just leads to complaining about it. Also, see if there's a pattern in your reaction to specific events or people. If you can identify triggers, then you can be proactive in your approach to them. Have something prepared to say. Make a decision about something ahead of time so you don't make choices based on emotion. Third, focus on an approach that will help you get relief. In other words, get yourself into problem-solving mode. Identify the problem first by asking questions of yourself and others. Brainstorm as many solutions as possible. Remember, there is more than one right way to do something. Seek the input of experts. Many people don't bother with this step. Most businesses have employee assistance programs with robust websites for resources, 24-7 call lines for help with issues not just about mental health, issues ranging from legal, financial, to older adults and child care, where to board my dog, or find a cat sitter, believe it or not. Select the most feasible solution and implement it. And then evaluate your choice in about a couple months to see how it's going for clarification or modification. And then keep at it until you feel better and the stress has been decreased. Fourth, use your energy for things that can be controlled and create action statements that are specific and concrete and let go of what can't be controlled. This is what we call a cognitive shift. Simply saying that this is how it is and I'm okay with it. Whether that's tight deadlines at work or your mother-in-law doesn't like you or someone did something that hurt you. Sometimes it's not about you. It's about them and we take the high road. Put events and situations into perspective. What are the facts of the situation? What are other points of view? Could I be making a mistake? Think about distorted thinking and then how to cope. Sometimes we just need to ask ourselves, what's the worst thing that could happen? Many times when we actually verbalize the actual worst case scenario, it's not as catastrophic as what we were thinking. Six, look for role models who demonstrate positive adaptations to similar situations. Having that inspiration can help us in those times of vulnerability. For example, my role model is my daughter, who recently was thrown into a situation at the tender age of four that she was completely not prepared for by life circumstances without any warning, and it was out of our control. And she not only managed but thrived and kept a ridiculously positive attitude about it. Had she not, I'm not sure I would have been able to handle it and keep going without her bravery. She is a true inspiration to me, and as a result, she is now in a situation where she is thriving and loving her life. And lastly, use humor to achieve positive perspective. I cannot stress enough how important it is to laugh at life and ourselves and not to take it all too seriously. So, you know how resiliency works? You know what questions to ask yourself to take resilient courses of action? You have the buy-in. All you have to do is practice these behaviors by intentionally putting the lucky seven in your life and your resiliency like any muscle will grow the more you train yourself. Good luck. It is not the strongest of the species that survives nor the most intelligent that survives. It is the one that is most adaptable to change. That is a quote from Charles Darwin. Athletic director Gene Smith is a transformative force in our Buckeye Nation. For more than a decade, he has been a leader in creating an environment for our student-athletes to be successful academically, athletically, and socially. He has been described as one of the most powerful people in collegiate sports. Gene Smith 
is in his 12th year as director of athletics at The Ohio State University, and he was named the Buckeyes Director of Athletics March 5th in 2005 and was elevated to Senior Vice President and Wolf Foundation Endowed Athletics Director in May of 2016. Despite a rigorous schedule juggling the commitment of 36 collegiate sports as Vice President and Director of Athletics for The Ohio State University, he and his wife, Sheila, make it a priority to bring together their blended family, which includes four children and now six grandchildren. And they also have the Sheila and Jean Smith Fund with the Columbus Foundation. Make no mistake, Jean possesses and walks around with this strength and caring spirit surrounds it. Everyone enjoys his presence, and we have him present right now in Studio A. Thank you, Jean Smith, for coming. Thank you, Rhea. It's good to be here. One thing I noticed when we worked together before is how affable and approachable you are. And Forbes actually made a mention of you, that you treat your employees positively. Recently in March, there was an article about some comments you made about the OSU football program. While you were at a soccer press conference, you were asked about the possibility of the football team taking a portion of their future spring practice to Florida. And you basically said that it's a creative idea for them to engage in this in terms of recruitment, upping their game skills. But your response was, I understand that, but I would not be supportive of taking away student athletes free time to go to practice. And then referencing to Alan Iverson's press conference when he said, we're talking about practice when Iverson was questioned by the press as to why he missed practice in an effort to inform the press about the absurdity of them asking questions unrelated to an actual game. So one of the things that a resilient person understands is to maintain that work-life balance. Do you think this has a lot to do with your success as an athletic director having that balance? Oh, no question about it. Uh, you have to you know, do everything that you can uh, to have that balance in life. You know, life is a, is a journey and uh, you should enjoy life mm -hmm. and you periodically are, are going to get challenged in life. And so you need to be prepared uh, to respond uh, to those challenges. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I take health uh, very seriously. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a, a strategic plan for my health. Uh, I have tactics involved in it. And uh, no one knows you better than yourself. Uh, so I'm a big believer in doing the things you need to do to have balance. Uh, it allows you to, to your point about resilience, uh, it allows you to be resilient. It allows you to be flexible in life. And so it's huge. Family, uh, my faith and all those things are allow me to to be where I am today. And so you have a sixth grandchild. Yes. Congratulations, Elijah. He's 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 beautiful. Uh, really excited about him, and we have a seventh on the way. Uh, wow. She, yeah, she's due next summer, and uh, we're really excited about our family. And uh, we'll have uh, ten of them around Thanksgiving, so it's really cool. Wow. Wow. And so one of the things that I also noticed as I kept doing this research, the press took another comment you made at that, that same press conference. If we were jump-starting our program, I'd probably do that too, meaning the press took it as a jab to the Michigan uh, head coach who did take their players to Florida. I never personally saw those comments when I was reading the article as anything uh, other than you just saying why you referenced to Allen Iverson. So, so you were just basically saying, you know, we just want to have that you know balance. We want the kids to have that time off. That's right. And the, to compound that, the fact that the press went there to say that you were making that dig, then Harbaugh came back with that tattoo comment, which must have been very hurtful. Yet you apologize in the spirit of moving on and problem solving and choosing this as the best course of action. So this is a classic move in resiliency, which is letting go of what we cannot control. And and even though you can't control the speculation that the press does and what the Michigan's uh, low blow was, 
Is this something you work at or do you have a method that you use to channel this orientation towards problems? You know, this goes back to our first comment about balance. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we've uh, been doing this for a long time, you know, over 30 years. And uh, you're going to uh, have people who misinterpret what you say or you're going to have people who disagree with your decisions that you make. And, and we're in a very diverse environment where people have different thoughts and feelings. And so, frankly, when uh, he made that comment, it didn't bother me at all. Nice. You know, I understood his perspective. Grown people disagree. You move on. That's mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. And so I never really just get upset like I did when I was 29 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, been through, through enough wars to understand that uh, it's better for me as a leader to maintain my cool and my calm. Not just for me, but for the people I serve every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I walk in the office and the 327 people that I'm blessed to work with, uh, I want them to understand that they need to be uh, unflappable. They need to make good, prudent, rational, reasonable decisions. Mm-hmm. And you can't do that if you lose your emotions. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm, a, I'm just one of those guys. Okay. I just like to you know, take things as they come. Mm-hmm. Be objective and and do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Be value based decisions. And so my my response to him uh, was what my dad always told told me. You know, take the high road in life. Mm-hmm. It's easier. Mm-hmm. It's so much easier. Mm-hmm. And you just just move on once you're done. And so that's where I operate. I operate on the high road. Yeah, I never thought about that. That uh, the high road is the easiest road. I never it's really easiest. thought of that. And, you know, you, you mentioned um, leadership, and your wife is, you know, really, she's one of the experts in leadership. She is the expert. <laughs> she, is. <laughs> yeah, she has her Ph.D. in leadership. She's the expert. <laughs> Wonderful. And you guys have been married for 18 years. How do couples stay resilient in the face of change and stress and inevitable tough times? Yeah, yeah that's really uh, communication, first mm-hmm. and foremost. You, know, you have to be on the same page with what your goals are in life and uh, and where you want to operate. And so we communicate, I mean, a lot. Mm-hmm. I probably text or call her five or six times a day mm-hmm. and uh, really just to touch base and, and tell her I love her or how you doing or it might be some change in our plan mm-hmm. or whatever. And, uh, but I, you know, we, we're bonded, which is uh, it's a difficult relationship to describe mm-hmm. because I hate being without her mm-hmm. and she hates being without me. So um, we just, I tell people all the time, if you talk through everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's no topic, there's no issue that you shouldn't be willing to talk to your, your partner about. Uh, but do it. Don't hold anything inside. Don't hold anything back. And and uh, I think it helps people in a relationship so much better. And uh, that's why God gave us the ability to communicate like mm-hmm. we do. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I'm just a big believer in communication. And uh, I believe that uh, compliments are extremely important for all people. Mm-hmm. But when you're in a, a relationship, uh, I think compliments are important every morning, every night. You know, a little compliment. I'm glad emojis came out because I can just send her some emojis and she knows what I mean. I love it. That's excellent. So, Gene, no doubt you've traveled a lot with your family. And when I say travel, you know, you've relocated quite a bit. How do you get your kids to manage to be open and do well with, like, new schools, new friends, new homes, new cities? We have kids that all get changing a channel, let alone the things that you've done. How did you get them to be so adaptable? Yeah, it was really challenging, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, particularly early in the early years. And actually, when I moved to Iowa State, two of our daughters uh, stayed in Michigan and boarded. uh, And Mm -hmm. so that was a challenge. But, uh, you know, we've always taught them that uh, this is a big world. 
And uh, that's why we have one living in Canada, one living in Arizona, one living in Washington, one living in Virginia. Uh, that it, uh, they shouldn't just be confined to an individual environment, an individual place. Mm. They should think about the world. And uh, fortunately, they, they've done that. And uh, when we went to Arizona State and then we came here to, to Ohio State, we had one daughter who's still in Arizona said, mm-hmm. I'm not moving. Mm-hmm. I love it out here in the desert. I found it. This is it. And so she she locked down in Arizona. And, uh, so, I, you know, we just taught them. It's a big mm-hmm. place. And, and uh, uh, every time we moved, that's what we talked about. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, you know, it's a new venture. It's a new experience. Nice. And uh, I remember when we went to Iowa State, they were young and uh, uh, they were too boarded, but they were used to seeing Green Acres when they landed and it was kind of funny but uh it was you know they they, they took it the right way I'm, i'm blessed um so speaking of family still um your son was recently deployed um and so your your daughter has a young toddler at home mm-hmm. So do you think that the resiliency that she has now gained from over the years, um, you know, with the moving and you showing them that the world is your oyster and to broaden your horizons sure. and to look at life as an adventure, do you think this leads her to be able to manage these types of situations easier than someone who may not have that resiliency? Yeah, I think it does. You know, mm-hmm. she's very strong and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, she'll be here soon, but she was very strong and uh, we talked long and hard about it um, and, and he went from nine months to just seven months and that was a relief and mm-hmm. uh, she's the one who's pregnant now and mm. uh, hopefully he'll be back in, in time, time. And, and for, for him to see his son, son or daughter be delivered, but um, you know, she's, she's strong, all of our kids are strong okay. and uh, they've been through a lot in their lives and you know, I've, I've been a public figure in my capacity for a long time, so I've taken public shots based upon decisions that I've made and um, we've had threats in our life uh, to, uh, from certain people. And uh, so I've had to call them in different places and tell them, you know, to be careful. And so our kids are our kids are strong. And mm-hmm. uh, probably it's one of the great things I'm proud of in, in uh, how we've contributed to their life is um, understanding that the, the world is their oyster, mm-hmm. uh, but also uh, helping them be strong in life. Because mm-hmm. uh, life is going to come at you and you need to have a strategy and tactics and methodology to deal with life the right way. And uh, all of them are pretty positive, too. Uh, mm-hmm. they, have, they have a good time. Uh, so, yes, yeah, she'll be fine. She, That's important. Yeah, she'll be fine. Good. And, you know, since you talked about, you know, you making decisions where people have gotten upset about, there was that announcement that OSU will do Friday night games, although mm-hmm. this coming season there's none scheduled. Right. Um, and even though only in the initial idea of it, there's only going to be a couple of them mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe one or two, and it wasn't going to be during the time that the high school games were going to be right. going on. So you were very cognizant of that, but it turned out that none were happening. But you probably have so many pressures, like so many different entities asking you to do right. different things. How do you keep everyone happy without losing your own happiness? We talked about having a good time with life. How do you right. manage to do that and still have a good time, be happy yourself? Well, first you have to be realistic. You're not going to make everybody happy. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. there's going to be some people who are upset and, and there's not much you can do to, to help them get over uh, their emotions. And so uh, you're trying to, to do what's right value-based decisions. And, and so all those situations we're in, we sit and, and evaluate. I never make decisions on my own. Mm-hmm. I have a very diverse and great team. And so we talk about those things. And so when we feel grounded in the values of our decisions, then it's actually pretty easy to, to move forward through things. So, you know, I, I work out 
uh, constantly. I have trainer at 6 a.m. on Monday and Wednesday, and she shows me no mercy at 6 a.m. <laughs> and we have Pilates on Tuesday night, actually. And uh, so we have Pilates for an hour Tuesday night. I have spin class on Friday mornings for 45 right. minutes. And so, and then I do some other things here and there. I eat right. I'm very conscious about what I eat. Uh, sleep. I'm not the best sleeper, as my wife reminds me. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I try and get as, as much sleep as I can to take care of this temple that God gave me. And, uh, you know, when I'm when I'm feeling physically good, you know, I'm in pretty good shape as I attack the challenges uh-huh. that, that I have to deal uh-huh. with. And there's an old quote, and I can't remember who who said it, um, you know, the oak, with, the oak tree fought the wind and it broke uh-huh. and the willow bit uh-huh. and with the wind and ultimately didn't survive the burdens of the wind. And that's how I look at life. You know, I'm not going to fight it. I'm not going to. I'm just going to bend and be flexible. Right. So the the, the things that we talked about. So if we were to talk about one of the objects that you embody, it's that tree that will sway in the wind. Got to do it. Yep. So we you talked about you have a good team. So how do you get your administrative players? Okay. Mm-hmm. So we know we have team players. We have right. our administrative players. How do you get them to be resilient when you experience losses? Mm, yeah, we talk we talk a lot a lot about perspective in life, and, mm-hmm. and that we're measured on the scoreboard. Uh, every single sport we have, and so we have to look at uh, what really happened. You know, how how did we lose? Uh, where did we make our mistakes? How can we get better? And we talk about them and try and come up with a strategy to make sure that we're not there again. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have, this is the best group of coaches I've ever worked with in my life. And they really get our philosophy on developing the total student athlete, mm-hmm. not just the athlete, but the person. Mm-hmm. And so we, when we when we don't win, then we we're really just communicate mm-hmm. and, and are very forthright and honest about where, where we are and where we can, what we can do better. And then we look to do better. And so openness, honesty makes it easier to trust and then hopefully it makes it better for you to perform. Mm-hmm. And that's how we look at it. It's pretty simple. And it's it's clear. I mean, in 2015, Forbes recognized the Ohio State Athletics Department as one of the 10 best organizations to work for in sports. And you're the one who's credited with creating that collaborative culture within that department. And it's clear that, you know, you have all the strategic planning, the outlook, you have you have it down in terms of resiliency. In 2016, you received the Athletic Director of the Year. And we also saw the loss of John Hicks. How do you handle such highs yeah. and lows at times? Yeah, that's a good one right mm-hmm. there, darling. Because John meant so much to me, and uh, those are hard. You know that that is a that's an that's an emotion that is uh, probably the lowest of all uh, when you lose someone, and that that takes um, you know a, an internal fortitude, uh, internal strength to to get through that. And so when when I have a loss, or when I, someone else has a loss of life. I try and tell them, as I tell myself, to reflect on everything that that person gave you. And uh, and that's what I did. You know, I spoke at John's Celebration of Life, and uh, it was so much fun because we talked about his his past and everything that he gave us. And Mm -hmm. so I have these great memories from him. And uh, that helps you get through loss. Mm -hmm. And if you uh, just focus on the loss, you never get through it. So I'm... 
I'm pretty focused on that every time I go through one of those experiences. Mm-hmm. And, and I try and help others as well. Mm-hmm. I try and get to that point. And I will literally ask people to, well, tell me about a good time you had with her. Mm-hmm. Or tell me about a great time you had with him. Or give me something that you learned from that person. And those are the conversations I have with people in my department who suffer loss. Mm-hmm. And um, it, So it's, it's a tough one. That mm-hmm. is the toughest one. Mm-hmm. But um, I try and do it that way. Have people kind of change where they focus? Yeah, mm-hmm. shift. Mm-hmm. Think back to all the fun memories. And we're all going to put our heads on a pillow at night and then, you know, go through that loss. But hopefully in the day we can get people to think positively about what that person brought to you. Right. So speaking of memories, um, you had mentioned that a mentors play an important part in your life. And I learned early on how valuable a mentor can be throughout a professional career and my mentors have helped me grow as I've transferred from one position to another. Can you tell us about how mentors were helpful even way back when in your early mm-hmm. days when you played for Notre Dame? You know, uh, so so many of them. And I never really had one single mentor. I had multiple mentors over time. And then when I played at Notre Dame, I you know, almost quit school at Notre Dame. There was a guy by the name of Nick DeChico. He was our defensing coach, but he was also the academic advisor. Then there was a my position coach named Joe Yanto, who's a defensive line coach. And uh, literally, my car was packed, and I had my luggage in the car. And I don't know how, still this day, I don't know how. They found out that I was, you know, getting ready to pull out, and mm. uh, they caught me and mm. sat me down for hours, and, and really, um, really talked to me into staying. And it was the, one of those moments in life that I, I will always remember and cherish. I remember the room we were sitting in; I can see their two faces. I mean, all that was there, and uh, because it was a life-changing moment, and, and because obviously I finished and got my degree and learned so much there. Um, so you know, those two weren't really mentors, so to speak, uh, but they were people who were impactful in my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Joe, the defensive line coach, was more present in my life from that point forward, so he helped me a lot. And then over the years, I just had so many different ones, but a lot of it goes back to my mom and dad. It taught me work ethic and uh, commitment and um, taught me the easiest thing in life is to be nice. Right, and take the high road. Dad used to say it all the time. I mean, I watched him work the job site. He knew everybody. He smiled every day. And, you know, he'd go to bed tired at night, wake up the next day, same thing. He was always positive. Mm-hmm. And I rode with him trucking, in the truck to work, and he had his music on. We'd be singing his music, whatever. He's just a happy guy. And uh, so I do that, too. I turn my music on on the way to work, and somebody might think I'm talking to somebody, but I'm usually singing. <laughs> just <laughs> be in a positive mood. <laughs> And you know your 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 daughter Summer just re- recently received recognition for an award mm-hmm. in her profession. I mean, clearly they look at you as a mentor for their adaptability and their ability to succeed. Yeah, I try and talk to our kids about what they're doing in life and how to be uh, purposeful and and make sure that they enjoy what they're doing. Don't have a job, find a career. Mm-hmm. Career is something you love, and uh, they found that fortunately. And, and so you know, she's the one that's climbing the corporate ladder, and you know, we talk often about making sure you're still happy doing that. No, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, I I I, I, uh, I push them a little bit, mm-hmm. not too hard, but I challenge them a little bit. Nice. And the last thing I want to ask you about, you know, talking about having fun. You recently did the mannequin challenge, which I didn't even know what it was. <laughs> I tried it. I think I failed. <laughs> we tried. How did you get everyone there to agree to do that yeah, with you? Yeah, that was one of those moments. You know, we were uh, we had just scored and we were up cheering and. 
Then I said, hey, wait a minute. Maybe we can do that mannequin challenge thing. And so we stood up and somebody took a picture and we put it out there. But anyway, it's, you know, you got to have fun mm-hmm. in life. You mm-hmm. know, it's just, you just got to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we're so fortunate to, to have what we have. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's so important that we always find in every single day mm-hmm. something joyful, something to, to feel good about. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it just helps you. Well, you certainly have given Columbus a lot to feel good about. Thank you for well, coming thank you. and Appreciate thank you for your service. It. Okay. I enjoyed it. Thank Perfect. you so much, Maria. Okay. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. <laughs> Now, a word from our person on the street. So, tell us, Big John, what are your thoughts on resiliency? Well, resiliency is a word that can mean many different things to many different people. To me, resiliency means being able to get past the struggles that you might find in everyday challenges. In the education world, because I am a teacher, being resilient has to do with being resilient with helping out the children, teaching them how to be resilient, having them work through their struggles. And many students do not know how to work through their struggles, so part of my education for them is being able to help them work through these resiliencies and any questions that they may have that they can be open to someone like me. And the reason why I feel like I'm qualified to be speaking on this topic of resiliency is because I've moved from different countries to different states, and growing up where you don't know a single person, you have to learn how to be able to adapt to the situation and the cultures that you are in. So I feel like my life experiences are able to... I'm able to turn around and help the children with those same issues that I faced when I was a kid. Thank you. Hi, thank you for joining us at UInc. My name is Ria Greif, and I'm here with you today, as I am every week, to help you build the most important brand in your life, which is you. And when we talk about building, we use tools, and the same goes for building our brand. We need to use tools to continue to build our brand. So this week's tool is inclusion. And what we want to talk about is why is it important to have inclusion in our lives and in business? And then once we understand why it's important, how to foster it. And what I want to do today is really demonstrate to you how great of a tool this is for your brand. So first, let's start with the buy-in. Why is inclusion important? Now, if you've been watching the news, you probably already know the answer to that question. But outside of that, know that most Fortune 100 companies and the highest performing companies are all focused on building an inclusive talent system because inclusive teams are the most productive, 
the most capable of problem solving, and have the greatest cash flow. For example, a pragmatic American educated trained employee would do well with the counterbalance of a theoretical European education trained employee on the same work team. Baby boomers who prefer face-to-face interactions would do well with the counterbalance of millennials who like to text, for example. So having a balance of both of those works well on a team. So individuals, so we look at this on a personal level, individuals who have diverse groups of friends are more likable, they're easier to get along with, have less issues with miscommunications and misunderstandings, which in turn leads to rich life experiences and deep bonds with others. So this, in turn, then helps you find love, love with friends, love with lovers, love with family members, love with coworkers, respect from your peers, and success in the workplace. So this is, again, something that we all want. So, great. I have the buy-in, Rhea. Now what do we do? Well, the first thing that we need to do is really understand what culture is. Now, not try to understand each and every culture, but understand that culture is a way of life for people, whether it is a way of life from your culture of origin or one that you choose. For example, I was raised in a Greek culture. My parents were immigrants from Greece, but I don't really exercise that in my life. Instead, I choose to follow maybe I might choose to follow a skater culture, a vegan culture, a cat lover culture. So we must be careful not to ever assume a person's culture by one's appearance. This is actually the tip of the cultural iceberg of a person and what we know about them. There is so much about a person that is lurking underneath. And a lot of the trainings that I do, I ask people in the room, about 50 people in the room, to determine what their primary identity is. And this changes from day to day. But I ask them to pick, is it gender? Is it age? Um, Is it disability? Are you a veteran? And then people choose this primary identity for the sake of the program that we're doing. And they separate into different parts of the room and people look over and they see people who are vastly different from them at first glance, having very much in common with each other. So making any generalizations about someone's tip of their cultural iceberg can be a mistake of titanic proportions. Now know that some of this is biologically ingrained in us. So as we search to find out what our biases might be, understand that we are the same human we were 50,000 years ago. One of my favorite books is Go Wild by Dr. John Rady. And what happens is when we see someone who looks different than us, dresses differently, has more melatonin, has different markings, cars, neighborhoods, language, our brain's need for relatedness In other words, to feel safe plays a role in how we look at others as friends or foes. Now, this is someone we perceive to be different than us. So we can, first of all, not have this perception. But let's say you don't have the ability to stop that right in its tracks. Okay, so you have this trigger that someone is my friend or belonging in my group. But what you are 100% in charge of is your behavior. So the choices that you make okay, to make you develop or not develop your cultural competence. So let's talk about how we can develop that cultural competence. One of the easiest thing you can do is start seeking out people different than you, okay? So this helps spark awareness for further discovery and future action. This is from the experiential learning theory that emphasized the role that experience plays in the learning process. So you can't just learn about others by reading about it or watching a National Geographic show or seeing a YouTube video. You actually have to intentionally put yourself around, quote unquote, others. 
So fostering, even forcing inclusion is a way to develop this ability to be successful within cultures. So by choosing inclusion, because everything is a choice, we develop a cultural confidence and competence, which is the ability to interact, understand, and appreciate people of different cultures of their choosing. These interpersonal skills are a part of emotional intelligence, also known as EQ, emotional intelligence quotient. And businesses are hiring people more and more based on their likability and their ability to get along with others, not to mention the richness of the experiences in your life. So another thing that you can do is just try something new. Trying new things is one way you can make inclusion happen. Sleep on the other side of the bed to get a better understanding of your partner. Drive a different way to work to see what other neighborhoods are like instead of just jumping on the highway. Attend an event you have never been to to see how others enjoy their leisure time are some examples. So push yourself out of your rut because remember, a rut is something that you eventually keep going into until it becomes your grave. So pushing yourself out of that comfort zone, out of that rut, outside of the box, we experience other viewpoints and are able to have more compassion and empathy as well as the overall ability to find common ground as well. In other words, this immersion and these experiences helps you note some inconsistencies between your experience and your previous understanding. So this pushes you even farther. So this is beyond tolerating diversity. It's about embracing inclusion. So learning is the process whereby knowledge is created through the transformation of experience. Okay. So other things that you can try. Don't order the same thing that you order at a restaurant or go to one you've never been to before. Wear something you would not normally wear. Go out of your way to talk to someone different than you. Okay. Sit on a different bench, seat on the bus at the lunch table. Join a meetup of people with the same interests as you because you'll see how different they are, but how much you actually have in common. Remove words that label people. Okay. I'm very, very cognizant of this with my children. We never label people as this or that. We just simply describe people. Oh, person has caramel skin. This person has long hair. This person wears makeup. These are the things that we say. We don't use any of those types of labels. And my children don't see people as others. So when we push ourselves to do th things differently, these chance occurrences create new ideas to tune our mind into. So you can read more about this in a lot of the books that I'll be putting online, um, such as Benedict Carey's How We Learn and other books that just go wild. And just one little quote before I move on to our guest, Chance Favors the Prepared Mind by Louis Pasteur. Okay, so welcome back. Today's guest might be an expert, actually, in fostering inclusion from being a woman in a male-dominated sport, perhaps the minority as well, and is poised to take the lead in a traditionally male-dominated position head coach. Welcome, Katie Smith, 17-year veteran of the WNBA, recently named WNBA's 20 greatest and most influential players, assistant coach of the New York Liberty WNBA, three-time Olympic gold winner and seven-time all-star in the WNBI, and Art Arlington resident. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, and wow, Katie Smith, how are you today? You got all the details. Yes. <laughs> I'm doing great. Good. You know, what people don't understand, actually, and I was actually surprised, too, when I was doing my research is 
even in the WNBA, most of the head coaches are not women. Why do you think that's the case? Um, I, I think it's a lot to do with our society in general. It's still um, probably the ownership of most of these teams are male. There's mm-hmm. um, some of the guys um, that our head coaches have played in the NBA. They do have great resumes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of the men's coaches that are in our league have been in the women's game for a very long time, and that's much appreciated. And I've been mm-hmm. coached by a lot of those. Um, it's all. It's just. You know, there's, there's a little something as being a woman that you want if they're if you're equal woman and man. It, it's I would pr- hopefully lean towards hiring a woman to then take over uh, a franchise as a head coach or assistant. Uh, just be a part of it because mm-hmm. to give those opportunities to those that um, it's impacted because mm-hmm. the sports world for me has been. I mean, it's open doors. It's given me life experiences. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's basically given me everything in my life. I've done it so long. Um, you would love to give back um, and put in the work. But, you know, I can't say it's a good, bad thing. You just hope that the women who are applying, who are going after these jobs, um, are getting a fair shake. Mm-hmm. And if they are equal um, as the male counterparts, that, you know, it would be a good fit and they would lean more that way. But um, I can't. Some of the guys that I've been coached by have been great and right. um, learned a lot from. Right. And in a lot of the press stuff that I read, it sounds like they've always been very supportive of you. Mm-hmm. And there also are um, two or three women that are coaches in the NBA. There are. There are, there are assistants, mm-hmm. um, Becky Hammond and Nancy Lieberman. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's a great gig. I mean, San Antonio bringing, um, you know, Becky on mm-hmm. and uh, with Nancy out in Sacramento. It's there is a respect thing and it's always different in every occupation for us. Um, our male counterparts mm-hmm. there's always kind of a. If there's a respect to mm-hmm. it. You know, when I played on Olympic teams, you have LeBron, you have Kobe. They know as much about you, and especially if you're similar ages and they mm-hmm. followed your career or, or knew you in college and maybe you crossed paths then. They know what's going on. They watch. You know, they keep tabs. But it's, you know, there's those, the average Joe that doesn't really, you know, basketball's not their niche. They mm-hmm. don't really. But those guys, they do. There's an ultimate respect right. by the players and a lot of times the coaches, even on the NBA side, for the women's game, for what women do. Um, still basketball players. We're basketball minds. Mm-hmm. We all look at the game the same mm-hmm. way. Yeah, we don't dunk as much. <laughs> Shooting, ball handling, the thinking of the game, the execution, it's all the same. Right. So, you know, hard work and being a smart, you know, having high basketball IQ is respected throughout, right. no matter man, you know, man or woman. So then finding that common ground, so that's how you guys have that inclusiveness, is that regardless of our gender, we're all basketball minds here. Exactly. Right. You know, you um, started in basketball and you played in the fifth grade on the boys team. Yeah. Tell me about that a little bit. You know, for me, it was it was normal. Um, when I was growing up, mm-hmm. a little bit different. There weren't as many uh, teams. Mm-hmm. Lot, right now you have all girls teams, I think even in third grade. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're starting young and they're all girls. So when I was growing up, there weren't all of those mm-hmm. teams. Not, not that many people were playing. And in my town of Logan, Ohio, where I grew up in fifth grade, they had the, the bitty basketball. So, of course, there weren't a ton of girls. There weren't all the girls teams. So mom asked if I could go play with my brother. And, you know, it was no no voices, no chatter really? from families. It, it was really nothing. You nice. know, I know you hear stories about... You know, sometimes girls aren't included or sure. the town or people are, are are annoyed or don't want that to happen. But, I mean, all the guys I was playing with were, were my friends. <laughs> so oh. it was like, to me, it was a very natural. There weren't any, you know, they weren't getting annoyed. It was just like, hey, let's go play basketball. So it was really, as I said, I never had that, I never had that feeling. Um, 
my f- parents never, you know, had the have to have any banter with anybody. It was just a really great time. You went and played basketball, played with the guys. I was shirts. They were skins sometimes when we would scrimmage. And then obviously in seventh grade, you know, I would go play on the, you know, the girls. Mm-hmm. Then we kind of separated. Um, and then throughout, you know, you play pickup against guys um, as you go forward. But yeah, I just never had. And I always felt like the guys were like my teammates and I should be out there playing with the guys. Um, so no, it was just a really great experience. And I never felt anything other than included respected Mm -hmm. and let's go out here and play basketball and that's great that you have this memory of having an environment where people were inclusive and Mm -hmm. you know you talked about there are other examples where it wasn't the case and you know talking about you can just make a choice Mm -hmm. to have a great experience and everyone have fun or make a choice to really make it not enjoyable for everyone so i'm glad that worked out that way so when i looked at some of the demographics looking at another way where you know not not exactly following you know the, where you aren't in the majority mm-hmm. um you're a minority when I checked the demographics of the WNBA in terms of being white mm-hmm. um and you came from Lancaster Ohio which is majorly white so now mm-hmm. suddenly you're playing you know cultures that are different we talked about mm-hmm. cultures so what was that culture like for you? Was it a culture shock? How inclusive was that? What was that experience like? You know, I, I don't, I've always, I, my life has, has been great. And partly because of my parents, you know, both mm-hmm. my parents grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, ended up in Southeastern Ohio. My dad went to Ohio University. So did my mom. They thought it'd be a great place to raise kids um, and have a family. So that's mm-hmm. how we kind of ended up in Southeastern Ohio, which is predominantly white. Um, so growing up in Logan, it was fine. All of my teammates traveled around our area. And when I started to play branch out and go to camps, mm-hmm. um, play AAU, uh, which is like the amateur athletic kind of club teams. In a, in a sense, of course, you got to see, play with kids from the cities, um, you travel to different states, um, you're staying with your roommates with different people, you're hanging out, you're competing. And it was just for me, I don't, I don't know what it was. I think it was obviously the, my parents raised me in the fact of respecting everybody, mm. appreciating everything. But I felt comfortable. I mm-hmm. felt comfortable with whoever, very just accepting of like, this is who you are. This is, you know, we're going to talk about this. We hang out here. We, I can talk to you now. So it was a real, for me, it was just really easy. And I just kind of got to know people and learned about them. Was we, it easy for everybody, though? Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. And it, it does have challenges because it mm-hmm. is. It's forcing you to... Um, be open-minded. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a mom and a dad. Some people I know don't. Some people grow up with, with you know, a lot of things. Some mm-hmm. people had to really scrape things together mm-hmm. and, and do things differently. So we, you know, you, when you get to know people and you spend more and more time with them, mm-hmm. you understand that we all come from different places. Yep. We all have our family dynamics are different. Um, maybe be rural, maybe urban. But at the end of the day, for me, what was great is that we always had basketball, right? Yeah. It connected us. Yeah. We had that love. And then you got to know them. You know, like comedies. Do you like doing this? Do you mm-hmm. like just sitting around watching movies? And then you just get to know. You know, even our, you know, our hair is different. You know, right. and it's just, you know, so you did like culturally, you got to you go home with these, you know, with my my friends. And whether it's the food, whether it's whatever, it's it's you just learn and right. you appreciate and you respect and you just it broadens your whole world. Yeah. And it's not. It's just different. Not better, not worse. You're not better or worse. It's just right, we're exactly. all we're all doing the best we can and people just great, great people. So it was just for me, it was just like 
I was always curious. <laughs> you know, yeah, I always sure. wanted to know. And, you know, they want to know about you. You know, we always had fun. We could make fun of each other as we as we went, especially our teammates. And um, But, no, it was just a, a great – like, for me, it was just broadened your whole world and right. appreciation uh, for different cultures and um, upbringings. Like I said, it makes your life a lot richer. Yeah, and it yeah. did. And it so it was great. But it was um, – it. You just everywhere you go, you just get exposed to more and more things. And right. even playing overseas, um, whether it was Olympics or I played on a couple of clubs, right. you know, you get to live in a foreign country and you got to go grocery shopping. You don't speak the language and maybe somebody speaks English. Maybe they don't. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of hand gestures and right. trust. Yeah. You know, you hand them this money and you have no clue whether it's even remotely close. Right. And they may keep it all. But, you know, people would give you, your, you know, the change back and people are just awesome to just wander around and, and appreciate, uh, you know, everyone, everything that you get to experience. So sure. I really have had a, I mean, as I said, basketball has opened a lot of doors and exposed me to so many things and great people. So, yeah, it's been a really great, great ride. And then when I, you know, the the feeling that I get when I hear you talking mm-hmm. about it and I see you smiling yeah. and, you know, I just, the feeling of just this overall life enjoyment and getting to have these experiences. And this is just something that that's why inclusion is important for people to just go out there and get to know others and not be afraid to try new things and go to new places because it really brings a lot of joy and satisfaction, that bliss that people are looking for. And it's it's right here. All you have to do is make some of those new choices. And it's not necessarily easy all the time. Mm-hmm. You're going to make a fool out of yourself. Sure. You got But you have to be genuine. Right. And you have to open yourself up. Somebody asks you to come do something. If you keep saying no, they're going to stop asking you. But you can't go in with pre, you know, predetermined and not be open and scared. Mm-hmm. But you also just have to be able to. You're, you're going to mess up. <laughs> you're right. maybe going to say the wrong thing. But be aware. Be you know, correct things. Be and, and just be. I don't know. Just understand what people and try to put yourself into their shoes. Mm-hmm. Try to just be there for them. But it's not always easy. And right. sometimes you have to make. You're, you're going to be in uncomfortable positions where you're just like. You know, I don't know how I feel about this. Um, I'm going to challenge myself mm-hmm. to get outside of my box. Mm-hmm. So it's not always easy, mm-hmm. but uh, some things are, some things aren't. Uh, but you're also going to grow from that. If there are people, you you know, if your friends or who you want care about, then, you know, you'll you'll do stuff that, you know, may get outside your box a little bit. But then you push yourself and then you get to that next level. Right. And the other important point that you would bring about is that, you know, you are going to make a mistake. We've made mistakes before. We're going to make mistakes again. That's how we're designed. Mm-hmm. So just say, I'm sorry. And mm-hmm. people usually are okay with that. I'm sorry. I didn't know. Just accept mm-hmm. it, own it, move on. And people usually can do that very well. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So one of the things that, uh, another thing that I read about was an article that came out actually this month, and it was about seven WNBA players coming out, um, and that even um, we, there's a large density of WNBA fans that are from the LGBT community. How inclusive is the WNBA of people who identify themselves as LGBT, and currently how out is the WNBA now? I think it is. It's very much um, out. I think it's the most, um, you know, gay-friendly league that there is sports league you know they have pride nights they you know uh, the fan base just the it's just a it's just a it's a safe place for people Mm -hmm. to come and support and watch Mm -hmm. women's basketball it's a safe place i hope for the fans to come and be themselves and to root on their team and it's also a safe place for the players you know don't i don't you don't hear a lot of stories you know me personally everybody is just like even though our beliefs may be different your teammates the league um, you're still teammates. You know, we're not all alike. We don't all believe the same. We don't, we aren't all the same. But no, it's just never, you know, you never have, I've never felt anyone 
judging. There may be some to mm-hmm. an extent, but really a respectful, I guess, caring for each other and your teammates, even though you may have different beliefs in mm-hmm. certain areas. So, I, you know, I just think our league does a really great job of doing that. And mm-hmm. also as women, I think that our players in our league show respect mm-hmm. on the highest level to each other um, when they're playing on the same team mm-hmm. or against each other of support um, and allowing people to really be themselves, which is a pretty cool thing. Because right. the world in general, I think, it's <laughs> the, the WNBA in general yeah. is a very accepting place mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for the LGBTQ group and 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 folks but Mm -hmm. i think the world in general it's gotten better i don't think it's like you go outside the WNBA, it's a little harsher right (laughs) you know on on a day-to-day um so no i'm really proud of our our league Mm -hmm. our players and and everybody allowed to be themselves Mm -hmm. uh and to go out there and and play the game they love and and put the most you know their best foot forward right because i know there was a time where they're like like you said times are different now Mm -hmm. right and in general the whole world you know, marriage equality, mm-hmm. love is love, all those wonderful things that we've grown into. But, you know, like te- even 10 years ago, when we talk about you know, fostering inclusion, there was an issue like a kiss cam, not wanting to put a kiss cam in the stadium. And, you know, some players are told to, you know, hide their sexuality. And do you think this was because they were afraid if this was happening, it might turn people away and they just wanted to make sure we get fans to make sure we get a, you know, mainstream it. We don't want to make this a gay thing. So what do you think about that? It's hard. Right. It's a hard, it's mm-hmm. a hard line because mm-hmm. there are those that are going to be offended. There are those that are not going to want to be a part of it, going to want to stop. Say it's LGBT, say mm-hmm. it's people of color, say mm-hmm. it's whatever. People mm-hmm. have their, bi- their, their biases right. and, and, and things that they like and don't like. But it's... You are. You can't make everybody happy. So what is it that you stand for? What is it that your league stands for? And who are you going to embrace? I mean, that's it's is it all we accept all everyone come then you allow people to, to be themselves and include everyone. You know, players it depends coming out now is different than before. Right. You have to weigh it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Is it family? Whether it's family is going to be comfortable, whether mm-hmm. I will lose endorsement dollars, right. which I don't think is is an issue anymore. Right. Well, followers or, fa- you know, there there are things to be considered because, yes, there it's still not accepted. By I mean maybe the masses I, I don't know number why I couldn't we're getting say. there you're getting we're, we're getting much there. better <laughs> so so I guess that's where you don't know everybody is it's still a very personal sure. thing yes like you know everybody that in in the WNBA you know, not everybody's you know coming out making articles or whatever but it's everybody has a personal choice and right. that's fine but it, people aren't necessarily not open they may just not put it out there but they're very much comfortable with who they are and what they do it's just that the 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 organization, the league that has to find its niche and stand, that balance. stand for what they stand mm-hmm. for. And the NBA and the WNBA, they had a float in the New York City um, gay parade this mm-hmm. year. And oh, it great. was so the NBA and it was it was phenomenal. That's excellent. And um, it was just it was a cool thing. First time any sports, I think, league had done that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just step by step. Good. Yeah. Bit by bit. That's what and I So you too. just you just go about it. But as I said, I've been blessed to be in a league. I think that's very um, progressive in a lot, a lot of areas. Great. So talking about you as uh, a coach now, so one of the things that I had read, oh, a couple things, you were talking about how you wanted to leave a legacy and you're, you're working on this project, which is great. But there was this quote um, that I had read that trying to figure out how each player can have success in their individual world. Some people are going to be all-stars. Some people are going to be role players. So that's really interesting as a coach now because – a lot of the times when we talk about work groups doing well together, 
We talk about, you know, thinking about Mission Impossible. Not everyone can be Tom Cruise. Some people are going to be the leaders. Some people are going to be the bomb experts, the IT experts. But together, they work towards, you know, fixing this Mission Impossible, accomplishing their mission. So as a coach, how hard is it? Because, you know, in general sports, I would say there there's a lot of ego involved. Mm-hmm. How do you manage the different personalities and help everyone feel included and important on that team? I think it's, first off, uh, building a relationship with them on whatever level. You know, there's we have multiple coaches, head coach and, and assistants, and, you know, people gravitate towards people. So mm-hmm. not forcing... Not forcing something upon somebody. To me, I'm always about kind of an organic or a genuine um, relationships and, you know, trying to put the work, trying to, you know, actually, you know, you try to ask questions, you try to learn a little bit about them. It's not just about basketball. It's about you as a person. By all means, some things you may not want to share. So it's just understanding kind of that when and when not to. Mm. um, And also allowing that person, if they have a, a tighter connection with somebody else, because maybe they're more similar, have a similar background, allowing them to have that relationship relationship and not being jealous about it and not being like, oh, I want that, you know, just allowing, but allow yourself to have still the relationship that you need with them. Um, I think consistency on top of that, being consistent with all of our players, with expectations, with the way you treat them, uh, with the demands, um, you know, just holding everybody kind of to the same standard and having honest, real honest conversations with them when they're struggling or when you need to not being scared to say, this is really how it is, even though it's going to hurt there. It's going to, it's going to hurt when you deliver this message. But as me as a player, when I look back at myself and what coaches um, were to me, I always appreciated those that gave you, gave it to you straight, whether I like it, (laughs) whether I hated it, whether it hurt my heart. I appreciated that. At least I knew where I stood no matter what. So at least I know whether I disagree, agree, whatever. So being honest is important. It's important because mm-hmm. I think it's just at the end of the day, you can live with that instead of being like, hey, well, if you do a little bit more of this and a little bit more of this, and at the end of the day, it might not even make a difference. This person's probably going to play more minutes than you. Right. And you're not even going to get there. But it's finding that, that uh, knack. So I think it's, first of all, building that relationship, yep, whatever your relationship important. is. Because it builds the trust when you get take the time to get to know someone, then they trust when you are taking that time to say, this is not going to happen. Right. So get right. to know them personally in whatever way they mm-hmm. allow you and continuing to foster that, mm-hmm. you know, building that trust, building that relationship. And at the end of the day, then it's being consistent, then having those tough conversations, you know, never, never really disappearing out of the equation, being able to have those conversations and maybe not to say too much all the time, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Where you get yourself twisted and get yourself caught up. Well, you did say this. So, but I do believe that building that trust and having a relationship with them. Thank you so much for coming here today. It's been a pleasure. And now from our person on the street. What are your thoughts on fostering inclusion? Uh, well, that's uh, it's a good one. It's, it means a lot of things, I think. And uh, I think the best way for me to describe it in my own personal experience 
Um, I just recently moved to San Francisco, which is a city that uh, is having issues with their inclusion right now. Uh, we talk about the uh, rapid gentrification of a lot of these areas, and a lot of these people that have been in an area for so long are no longer feel like they're included in their you know, hometown. So uh, coming there as a, an Ohioan, moving to San Francisco, uh, I was lucky enough to feel a great amount of inclusion, not only from my uh, friend that I knew out there who ended up being my roommate, um, people that I met through them, through my workplace. Uh, everybody was very um, open-armed and uh, was willing to kind of bring me into their circle groups right away. So uh, I definitely feel the inclusion and, and what it can do for you and how uh, much of an impact it can make. And uh, now at this point, you know, it's my mission to pay it forward for new people that are coming into new cities and people that are starting new jobs and, and wherever I can be that source of inclusion for them, I, I strive to do that. Great. Thank you. Yeah. And that's our show for today, folks. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm Maria Greif, and you've been listening to You Inc. on 90.5 WCBE.